Hey everybody, my name is Drew Baker. Welcome to The Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, artists, and scientists, as well as restaurateurs, at my kitchen table. On today's episode, I interview Bill Jensen, co-founder of Tail Up Goat and Reveler's Hour in the Adams Morgan Enclave of Washington, DC. Bill is a veteran of some of DC's finest restaurants, He's also an incredibly knowledgeable wine professional, and most importantly, he uses his time, talents, and resources for good in the community. All right, table set. Bill Jensen is in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Drew. I, I hope I do it justice. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So it's been a while. We've, we've known each other for uh, several years now. It's been a while since we've had the pleasure to catch up, but um, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. How have you been? Uh, yeah, it's not like either of us have had anything going on either. So uh, it's it's been it's been great. Um, you know, I'm going through um, you know the pandemic crisis just like everybody else, and um, you know everyone has their own story with that. You know, for um, you know me in the in the restaurant industry, um, you know as a small business owner, um, it's just about um, you know scratching, clawing, doing everything that you can think of to. Um, keep your business afloat and to keep as many people um, in your orbit uh, safely employed as possible. Um, all the while, you know, responding to, you know, the second pandemic of, you know, systemic racial injustice that, um, you know, has also um, been, you know, rightfully at the front of people's minds. So, um, you know, I think as an industry, you know, we are uniquely affected by both of those crises. And, you know, as um, you know, uh, uh, a putative leader in, in the industry, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, myself, and my business partners have been putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to, um, respond in a, in a really, you know, thoughtful, uh, way, um, and in, you know, the best interests of, of serving our staff, serving our community. Um, and, you know, that's been really fucking hard <laughs> for, for lack of a, you know, for, for lack of a better word. It's, it's, um, it's, it's been, it's been really grueling. Um, and, you know, I think what we've learned is that, uh, you can't stop pivoting, you know, you can't stop, you know, finding new creative ways to, um, you know, keep your businesses in, uh, the, the public eye, um, and, you know, trying to, you know, serve whatever needs that, that people have. Um, and, you know, the, the hardest part about that is it's, you know, kind of physically and emotionally draining, but, you know, we still have a roof over our heads and, you know, there's still people coming through our doors and, you know, we've been able to keep people, um, you know, virus free and, and we're grateful for that. Amazing. Yeah, for sure. Pivot is the word of 2020. Um, I, I, it, it feels like every Monday morning we sit down as a team internally and have the conversation of, okay, so this happened. Now what are we going to do? And uh, yeah, you've, um, it, it feels as though um, we've reinvented our business model a half a dozen times this year. And yeah. Uh, and it's crazy. It's not unique. I mean, it's like, yeah, it, it's it's essentially weekly. There's new information, and now that you have that, what are you going to do with it? So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure, I get that. Um, and so you just like really uh, hit on a lot of uh, topics that I want to delve into and discuss with you um, in greater detail. But for those who are listening uh, and and don't have the pleasure of knowing you uh, personally, like I do, I thought that it would be cool to first. Uh, rewind the clock a smidge, and I'm sure at some point our story will kind of tie right back into the present. Um, but like, who is Bill Jensen? What's your story? Take 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 us back 
as far as you'd like to go? I mean, I think like everybody else, I'm still figuring out who Bill Jensen is, but um, I was born in uh, the, the D.C. area, um, you know, uh, for the people that really know the area and in the interest of full disclosure, I grew up in Bethesda and went to Bethesda Chevy Chase High School once a time, once upon a time. Um, you know, I was always a good student growing up, but, you know, I, um, you know, struggled with school by the the same token and kind of struggled with my own wanderlust and, you know, uh, got to college and, you know, it wasn't, you know, the best environment for me to learn in. And it took me a while to kind of, you know, suss that out and, you know, quit self-flagellating about it and, you know, find a um, career that played to my strengths, um, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, kind of putting me in, in a box that, you know, was never gonna, you know, suit my my skill set. And, you know, I love about the restaurant industry that it has a little bit of this island of misfit um, toys kind of quality uh, to it. And, you know, it's, it's very much, you know, a um, you know, an environment that you can walk into and it's a sink or swim kind of thing. And, you know, you can rise pretty quickly if, you know, you can put up with the, the stress of it. Um, and, you know, if you have the kind of interpersonal skills to, you know, on the service side, you know, be, be good at it. And, you know, I particularly love about the, the wine world that, you know, there are a lot of different ways to approach wine. I, I was, you know, uh, in spite of, you know, not being, you know, a good, academic student I like to think I was like always an interesting guy to have in class like you know I would ask like really good questions I'd be really engaged you know I probably wouldn't finish the paper that my grade was contingent upon but like I feel like both the professors and fellow students you know I made for good you know entertainment and hopefully like you know was a catalyst for you know the the larger group but um uh, I've always been interested in a lot of different disciplines and and you know um it appeals to me that you know you have you know, former, you know, uh, physicists, you have, you know, former, you know, biologists, chemists, you know, that come to the wine world, then you have like a uh, cater of artists that come to, you know, the wine world, then you have this like universe of, you know, food people that, that approach it that way, you know, so there are all these like different vectors um, that you can uh, approach it through. And I also like that. Um, it's not like uh, self deterministic, I, I find that most chefs, you know, they're kind of born that way. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of written into who they are to some extent that, you know, they're going to end up, you know, behind a stove and, and making food. Like they, they settle on that really fast. But, you know, I find with a lot of wine people, you know, it could be a second career, a third career or whatever. And, you know, um, I, I like those stories. Um, and, you know, I really enjoy, you know, Tableside um, telling those stories. Um, and so um, I came back to uh, D.C., um, after failing out of a very nice liberal arts college in Maine um, and, you know, I got into restaurants for lack of, you know, other other options because I'd always loved food and wine and, then, you know, discovered a home there. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people I know have like a kind of road to Damascus experience with your first, you know, bottle of wine was the first great bottle of wine you had. Um, and I don't know that I, that I had that. You know, I, I feel like I've you know, had a lot of ones that I loved, but I don't know if there's like a singular bottle that, you know, really, you know, flipped the switch for me, but I do opening my first bottle of wine table side, which feels like really weird, <laughs> um, but, you know, strangely fitting for um, a, a psalm. And that was um, this Moltieri. It was a, a um, this quirky Southern Italian uh, red from Basilicata. Um, you know, it's like earthy and soulful. And, you know, I can remember tasting it with uh, the chef at Two Amy's where I was working at the time, Peter Paston, who also has a really amazing palate um, and makes wine himself. And you know, I can remember tasting it and, and you know, thinking that, um, you know, there was this whole life 
behind this wine. You know, it wasn't just, um, you know, this, you know, red elixir, you know, you know, or, or, or deep burgundy elixir in a glass that, you know, this whole culture, this whole set of forces, um, you know, behind it. And, you know, you just had to be sensitive enough to it to tease that out. And, you know, teasing all that out seemed like a worthwhile way to, you know, spend uh, a work day. And, and so, um, you know, I, I fell in love with that. And, you know, after all sorts of abortive stops and starts, um, have, have made a career out of it. That's incredible. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. What a, what a great sort of, uh, uh way to sort of wrap up your, your history. That was, that was really, <laughs> and I feel like I learned so much about you. So that's partly, uh, and selfishly why I enjoy doing this show so much. Um, cool. So, um, I, I, I did forget to ask this, where are you checking in from now? Uh, I'm calling you from home. So we're um, open uh, at the moment. Um, you know, part of our pivoting process has been, you know, figuring out when people want us open, but uh, we are currently open for takeout, in-person, in-person dining. I'm sure we'll be do, doing delivery again at some point, um, uh, Wednesday through Sunday. So I'm at home now. Um, okay. and usually, um, you know, we're, we're all, you know, clocking seven days a week, um, but um, it's nice to have a day where I don't have to go in. Yeah, for sure. So what has that, now that we're back to the present, um, t- tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I guess, what, I guess the last five months now, um, what has, you know, what has that progression been from, um, you know, I, I remember for me personally, it was the week before um, St. Patrick's Day that this kind of became real. And, and, and I know that it was real before then and, and probably even before any of us know that <laughs> that it was real. Um, but St. Patrick's Day, the week before St. Patrick's Day, that's uh, I had a first trip to go out to Chicago for the year to go to Third Coast Swap and I was excited to pour. And uh, I, I remember... Um, my, my wife asking me like, Hey, are you going? And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I? Like I hadn't even crossed my mind. And then in the, in the following days, you know, sort of the wheels started falling off and, you know, sort of, uh, real life as I knew it began to change. Tell, tell me, tell us a little bit about, you know, when that moment was for you, when you were like, Oh wow, this is like, this is a big deal and we need to quickly figure out what we're going to do about it. Yeah. I think that, you know, everybody, um, stateside, at least, you know, certainly had that moment at the at the beginning of March, at least, especially those of us in the Northeast Corridor. I, I think, you know, um, you know, our, our perspective, you know, is, is, is very narrow. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's easy to get locked into your own reality. And, and especially in a country as big as the United States, because I think for a lot of people, you know, this crisis hasn't really resonated for them until now, which is, you know, crazy to me, because, you know, I feel like I've been living with it for, for so long. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you know it becomes real, you know, uh, you know, to varying degrees at, at varying you know rates of time. Um, you know, for us, it was kind of the, the timing was all crazy. So um, I opened uh, Tail Up Goat, um, which is um, our kind of flagship restaurant. Myself and my my business partners who met um, working at Comey and Little Cerro. Um, we opened that um, four and a half years ago, um, and we've had you know quite a bit of success there, um, and. Uh, Enough, so, you know, to, to um, the extent that, you know, we, we were opening the second project called Revelers Hour that we're really excited about. And that was, you know, kind of this wine and pasta bar. And our first day of service for Revelers Hour was New Year's Eve, which was um, also the day that uh, China declared um, the 
um, coronavirus pandemic. Um, and so, you know, I think about this like crazy set of circumstances and, you know, like globally, you know, we were already doomed <laughs> you know, the, the minute, the minute we opened our doors, we just didn't realize, we didn't realize it at the time. And, you know, it just speaks to this like really narrow lens we had again. So like, um, you know, in, and I think I've, I've been reading a lot of like history, you know, you, you know, in a global perspective, plague has been with us for a long time. Um, you know, and earlier generations were much more attuned to it. It's just been a solid century for us since our last, you know, global plague of, of this magnitude. And so, you know, no one is in a position to, um, you know, imagine what life is like under one. So it's just like great, you know, failure of, you know, collective human imagination and this like really, you know, narrow set of perspectives we get lost and into. just the forgetfulness but, of history, right? Like, yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. Back, but I mean, it's, it's, not, it's remarkable that in a hundred years without a plague, we were just um, so overconfident that it would never happen again. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fully understandable, but, you know, I think for us in the restaurant, we, we actually had, we are doing really well at, at the new restaurant and been like, you know, packed. And, and, you know, so our problem, the problems we were worrying about were, you know, shit, how are we going to hire enough people to, you know, make sure that we don't have to work, you know, many days a week and, you know, make this all livable for ourselves. And then, you know, very quickly, um, you know, the beginning of March, it becomes clear that, you know, A, the, you know, coronavirus is, is spreading rapidly. And, and first that was, um, you know, Western Europe. Um, and, you know, I know for me, like, I can remember sitting in service or being in service and, and, you know, really, you know, seeing Northern Italy declare lockdown and then uh, Italy as a whole. And, and that was a moment where it was like, wow, you know, this is, this is not, you this know, can happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is just reached, you know, a, like a rate of acceleration where, you know, it's not like we're going to have a slow season or two, you know, um, we're watching exponential growth in action and we're at the bottom of the curve. You know, that was the moment for us. And then, you know, for my partners, it was just about at that point, just being as honest as we could, um, about, you know, where we were headed and what our plans were for our staff. Um, and, you know, having almost daily conversations with them about, um, you know, what we were doing and, and that really sucked. Um, you know, it meant telling, um, you know, a staff of a hundred that we were essentially laying all of them off. Um, you know, we've been able to pay health insurance for people, um, through July, um, and we've been able to bring a few people back, but, you know, we're not back to a hundred, you know, we're at, you know, 40 plus. Um, and, you know, fortunately the, the federal unemployment benefits have been really good for, um, you know, the folks that, you know, remain without work, but, you know, that's going to change in a week. Um, uh, hopefully not, but, you know, it doesn't look like Congress is going to have their act together. So, um, you know, it, it got real really fast and, and, you know, it was, um, you know, just really draining. And, and I know a lot of restaurants had to decide whether to, you know, shift then to take out or to close entirely. And, um, you know, I respect whatever choice people are going to make for their businesses. I, I think for us, we were just too emotionally drained to feel like we could make a shift to take out and, and take it on with our full hearts. So we closed um, our doors entirely. Um, and, you know, it was really hard. Um, uh, it was lovely because in some senses, you know, I hadn't seen my wife, you know, meaningfully and, you know, the four and a half years that we'd been open and I got two months with her where we, you know, I was like domestic and cooking and it was like falling in love all over again. It was really lovely. Um, uh, and honestly, like I miss that deeply now. <laughs> um, but, 
but you know, um, it, yeah, it came at, it came at a huge price. Um, you know, something that has been, you know, the silver lining for me, um, to come out of it was that, you know, not the first weekend, but, you know, starting the second weekend, um, you know, after we closed our doors, I started doing this, um, uh, Sunday wine school. Um, uh, and that initially started as a, a fundraising vehicle for our staff and, you know, has evolved into this, like, you know, kind of really amazing virtual community. And we still have, you know, over a hundred people participating, uh, every week and we're going on 18 weeks of it. And, um, you know, we have people tuning in from like British Columbia and Colorado and, you know, just like friends and, and, you know, family of all the people that, you know, initially tuned in and I would have never, you know, imagined, you know, having that kind of reach and a lot of people who've never heard of the restaurant before. So, um, you know, I think, you know, in pivoting and thinking about how we're going to leverage this moment and keep our businesses alive, it's important to remember that there's still, you know, a human hunger for food and drink and, you know, thoughtful hospitality. It's just, you know, harder to access um, than, than it was before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, harder to access in the, in a brick and mortar way, but I think you just kind of like really highlighted uh, an incredible opportunity to grow your circle in so many other ways and to, uh, you know, connect albeit in a virtual uh, format, but connect with people around the world. So, um, you know, there, there definitely are, um, you know, uh, silver linings in all of this. And, you know, something that, you know, we've been really uh, reflecting on internally at Old Westminster has been, um, you know, to take those uh, opportunities that we have identified to, um, you know, to build community and to connect with with people that are traditionally outside of our circle of influence. And, um, you know, if and, and when we get the opportunity to uh, return some aspects of normal that we do miss um, to not be so quick to kind of throw out um, those opportunities, those, those oh, new totally. opportunities we found to connect with people as oh, well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we're doing things like we're leveraging. So we converted the um, restaurant into a retail wine outlet, which is something I always kind of wanted to do. And cause the, I think the retail sector is like super underserved, um, especially like in terms of, you know, meaningful wine service there, are, you know, a handful of, you know, amazing liquor stores in DC that you can wander into and ask for, you know, recommendation about wine, but you know, it's few and far between <clears throat> and, you know, um, we're trying to, you know, create that for, for Adams Morgan in a way that, you know, doesn't really exist um, there. And I think that's something that, you know, we'll continue to do. And then, you know, these, these virtual opportunities that people have been leveraging, you know, hopefully that's something that, you know, won't um, totally disappear. And then, you know, structurally the restaurant industry, you know, kind of, you know, was at this weird moment where, um, you know, a lot of people were, you know, thinking it had, you know, we were in the midst of, uh, you know, this, bubble and, and, you know, things were destined to burst. Um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of inequalities baked into the way restaurants were operating that, you know, uh, we are keen not to perpetuate, uh, in, in the new era. And, you know, there are a lot of things about the tipped wage system that, you know, don't really work for everybody. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of things about, um, you know, um, the racial and economic forces at work in the restaurant industry and the wine industry that need changing. Um, you know, so, um, in as much as, you know, this really fucked up, you know, public health care has forced those conversations on us. I think that's really important. And, you know, that's certainly something that, um, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, be forgetting going forward.
it's an important reminder to not waste this opportunity and just say that this was, you know, a really shitty cycle and that, uh, you know, it collapsed a restaurant industry as well as so many other industries as we know it. And, uh, you know, if and when the air clears to simply rebuild it as it was. Uh, I think, I think you, this opportunity needs to be taken seriously and, uh, and, and taken as such to, to, to kind of re reinvent, uh, at least to the extent that we have the power to do so, the way things have, can be moving forward. Um, when when you mention uh, kind of the, the the restaurant bubble that at least some uh, kind of uh, talked of or felt um, before the coronavirus was sprung upon us, um, what were um, what were some what were some things about uh, the restaurant industry that you wanted to see changed? Uh, before 2020, and also, uh, what are some, you know what are uh, you know some tangible um, uh, uh, vehicles uh, for change in your mind? Like, what are some things that that we uh, as industry folk can do, uh, or at least be proponents of that could that 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 could initiate real change? Yeah, I mean, I'm in my mind, you know, obviously, this is an audio format. Um, uh, so, you know, people should know that, you know, I am, you know, people talk about, you know, seeing someone that's, you know, um, you know, ethnically indeterminate, and, you know, has this, you know, um, you know, wonderful, like post racial look, uh, I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like, the most ethnically determinate people like person ever, you know, I, I'm like the blonde haired blue eyed dude. So, you know, I, I certainly don't want to speak out of turn. Um, you know, these are, are issues I think about, but, you know, I think one of the most important things we can do is, you know, um, listen, um, and, you know, make room for people that haven't felt heard, um, and make room for, you know, those, those voices that were crowded out. Um, and, you know, I know that in, in my own life, I, I am a loud voice in the room for, for better or worse. And, you know, um, you know, I, I am wanting to, to listen, uh, more. Uh, in, in, in all of this. Um, and, you know, I think that's something certainly that, you know, I want to continue to do. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of things in our control. There are a lot of things out of our control. Um, you know, this pandemic is as much a stress test for, um, the industry, for, you know, the nation collectively as anything else. Um, I think, you know, it's glaringly obvious that our social, our our social safety net, um, you know, in the United States is, is inadequate to provide people with the kind of life that they deserve in, you know, a ridiculously prosperous, you know, uh, nation. Um, you know, things like, you know, access to affordable uh, health care, um, you know, decent unemployment benefits, um, you know, uh, paternity leave, you know, God forbid, child care, God forbid, you know, that people can, you know, access and take for granted um, in, you know, other countries, you know, that have uh, GDPs of our size, you know, we can't take for granted here. And that, you know, needs to change. Um, and, you know, too many of those burdens to provide those things, um, especially in the private sector, fall on small business owners. And that is a huge financial burden to provide, um, you know, to, to fill that gap and provide health care for your service, for your, for your staff and provide, you know, for paid paternity leave. Those are all things that I really want to do. But, you know, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, it is very hard to, you know, make those um, line items, you know, bounce um, on, um, you know, a, a sheet, especially in an industry like, you know, like restaurants where, you know, people don't appreciate that the 
the the margins are as skinny as they are. Um, and you know, that sounds like beating a bit of a dead horse at this point. Cause you know, I feel like a lot of restaurant people are saying that, but you know, it's very true. I think we need to find, you know, ways to, um, you know, structure our spaces differently, structure service differently. Um, so that we're bringing in, you know, um, money in creative ways that mean that our profit margins aren't as skinny as they have been historically. Um, there's also a huge disparity in wages between the front and back of the house that needs to be addressed. Um, there's, a, a you know, a, a lack of um, opportunities, um, you know, certainly um, in the wine profession, but, you know, very often in restaurant management um, for, you know, people of color. Um, and, you know, that, you know, also uh, equally, you know, needs addressing. Um, and, you know, those are not, you know, kind of flash in the pan conversations. That's a, a you know, a, 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 a kind of pervasive dialogue that needs to be had. And, you know, we, we live in this moment where it's not enough just as an employer to say that, you know, um, you're, you're racially blind um, in, in hiring. You know, that's not enough. You know, in, in order to make a better world, you know, we need to be actively, you know, promoting opportunities for people who haven't had them. Uh, before uh, in in our industry, um, and you know that's something that you know, I'll speak personally that I wasn't you know um, as clear on as I should been um, going into this. You know, um, you know there are so many things you have to worry about as as, as a business owner, and and you want to think the best of yourself. But um, you know, uh, as an industry leader, you know if you want to see change um, in in your industry, you have to actively um, promote it. That can't be you know a, a second or third priority. That has to be baked into um, you know the kind of business that, you know, you're operating. For sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that is, um, you know, really uh, compelling. And um, uh, I think I, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, you know, for you uh, to, to kind of hear your, uh, you know, willingness to, um, you know, kind of self-reflect on, on on where you were and where you are uh, in light of, you know, the two pandemics that, that we're all experiencing right now. Um, so I, 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 you mentioned, um, uh, a, a little bit about your business partners, uh, and, uh, how, uh, how you met at two Amy's you had said, um, well, we, we kind of, we traveled in the same sphere. So I worked at two Amy's for a very formative year. Um, it was my first real service job. Um, you know, at that time, I don't think I was, you know, had any notion that I'd be an industry lifer. Um, uh, I, um, you know, left Amy's to pursue the you know, opportunities uh, in like, you know, grassroots canvassing and ultimately political organizing. And, um, you know, that was the only other, that's been the only other job that I've really, you know, ever thrown myself into uh, and, and enjoyed. Um, but we, uh, John, Jill and I um, formerly met at, at uh, Comey and Little Cerro um, uh, before uh, and, and worked there for the better part of a decade um, before opening um, tail up goat in 2016, 20, yeah, 2016. Yeah. So, um, I am curious to kind of hear about how that all came about. Um, but also you mentioned, uh, that, uh, your, your work in political organizing was the only other sort of, uh, uh, occupation that you've had that really was meaningful to you. Um, I'm just curious generally, have you ever considered pursuing, I mean, I know that, um, and, and I want to talk about your work with the independent restaurant uh, coalition uh, also at some point. Uh, but have, have you ever considered like really, uh, leaning into that and, and, and pursuing it more? Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I became, I know it for you, Bill, I got, I got a little, I got a little jaded. Um, uh, and you know, uh, I was doing a lot of GOTV stuff, just get out the vote, 
Um, you know, and, and ultimately at that level, you know, you're calling or, or knocking, um, and, you know, you're hoping to swing, you know, local votes, a few percentages in, you know, areas will that will mean the difference between your candidate, you know, carrying and not carrying, you know, county or state, what have you. Um, I, I desperately enjoyed it. And it was really important for me to do it at that at that point in time. But, um, you know, honestly, I don't really want to go back. You know, I feel like um, what I loved about that was serving, you know, a community of people and, you know, and having a sense of, you know, purpose and, and meaning um, around an election. And I found a lot of that in owning a restaurant, uh, especially, you know, in a, in a moment like this, um, you know, and uh, there's just so much out of your control um, in, um, you know, in the context of uh, political life. Um, and honestly, Jill, um, my partner, Jill Tyler, has done a lot more work with um, the various, um, you know, agencies of small restaurants and independent restaurants that have been advocating um, for, um, you know, federal uh, and local, um, you know, kind of legislation throughout this crisis. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sometimes the mouthpiece. So occasionally, you know, if we need to release a statement or write something or whatever, like I'm, I'm, I'm good at that. You know, I have some practice at it. I, I love, I like formulating my thoughts that way, but I don't want to be engaged in that day to day. Uh, you know, I feel like I've seen how the sausage is made there. You know, I've worked on the Hill, you know, and, I just, I feel like there's so many things out of your control that are just like far too arbitrary and maddening for me to, you know, want to take that it on. Like and it could be mentally exhausting if you're not well guarded. Yeah, you, yeah, you really, exactly. And, and it's so easy to burn out on. And, and you just like, you have to, yeah, you, you have to be somebody that can either like do it 24 seven and like, you know, that's your life and you're happy, you know, living in that place or somebody that's like really good at compartmentalizing. And I was neither, you know, I was someone that, you know, when I was in it, like wanted to like, you know, live, eat, you know, sleep, breathe it. But, you know, I wasn't emotionally equipped to like do that forever. Um, you know, and, and so, um, I think restaurants are definitely immersive, but I, I feel like, um, I have an easy, easier time kind of, you know, getting out of it and, and walking away from it. But, you know, it, it can, it gives you a forum. It gives you a community of people. It gives you, it, it feeds the soul. It can feed the soul um, in a lot of ways that, that organizing can. And, um, you know, in this, you know, current moment, there are also a lot of opportunities to affect change. And, and it's, it's, it's different, you know, it's much more grassroots. Um, uh, and, you know, certainly like, um, you know, a lot of the communities that I would love to be serving, you know, aren't necessarily the people that want to tune in to learn about what did we learn about this week, South African wine. Uh, but, you know, by the same token, like in, in terms of the way you approach things, like, you know, we did a South African wine class and we talked about the DOP system, which is, you know, this um, system of uh, paying, um, you know, uh, native black um, South Africans in wine. And it's had this like hugely, you know, um, you know, corrosive effect on, um, you know, uh, South African society. Uh, and, you know, so there, there are a lot of ways that you, there, you can approach a thing that will, you know, serve, you know, different ends. And, and for sure, you know, and it seems like it would give you an opportunity to um, yeah, have a conversation through a different lens, but also to have a conversation with a person that you would have never otherwise had an opportunity to have a conversation with. 
right? So like, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a vehicle that can open, that can open sort of an interpersonal door with a human that you might not get the opportunity to, to speak with and, and hopefully at some point find some alignment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you're able to talk about a set of like, you know, social issues and like national, like national issues for the sake of South Africa. Like you can't really talk about modern South African wine without talking about the fall of apartheid. Like there wouldn't be a, a South African wine industry without the fall of apartheid. Um, and, you know, to try to divorce one from the other, like, you know, is, you know, for me, like nonsensical. Now, you know, having started that conversation, you get into really uncomfortable conversations. So you're talking about a country in South Africa that's 80%, you know, over 80%, like, you know, native black South African, um, you know, but um, the uh, vineyard land is over 98% owned by white Afrikaners, you know, that, you know, is going to piss some people off and rightfully so. Um, and, you know, in countries like Zimbabwe, they decided to, you know, um, appropriate the land from those white you know, Afrikaners. Um, and, you know, uh, that is a big fear for a lot of those farmers there. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I find that a lot of the wineries, um, and, and these are, you know, historic properties to some extent. These are two, three, you know, sometimes four generations of white Afrikaans, you know, farmers or winemakers, you know, but they, you know, are, you know, incredibly upfront and forward about talking about, you know, issues of sustainability in, in South Africa is incredibly like biodiverse place. And, you know, there's a, on, on the wine side, like their commitment to sustainability is like really laudable, but nobody wants to touch the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to touch like, you know, the racial implications of, you know, wine in South Africa. And, you know, like I'm past that, like, um, uh, you know, these are conversations that we need to be having. And as much as like, we should be having those conversations uh, stateside because, you know, um, I would imagine that, you know, if you were to, um, you know, kind of uh, audit, you know, vineyard acreage in America, it wouldn't be much better than 2% owned by African-Americans um, uh, and let alone Mexican-Americans who do most of the, you know, planning and picking, you know, through, um, you know, uh, you know, H1 visas, you know, stateside and, and have always. Um, and, and that's just the wine sector. That's not the agricultural sector. Yeah, as a whole. U.S. agriculture is built on yeah. H2A visas. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, I think, um, and those are very much human stories. Um, and, and, you know, um, people I find a lot of times are much more willing to have the environmental conversation than they are willing to have the, the human conversation. And I think it's important that, you know, we're bringing all these things to light in as much as we're able. Yeah, for sure. And and 2020, I think, in so many ways, has has made this conversation uh, so so much more uh, not relevant, but um, I, I guess has has opened a willingness for so many people to have it. Because I, I think that if we had this conversation last fall, I don't know that anyone would disagree with any of the principles. However, it would have been more uncomfortable or, uh, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, viewed as, um, uh, just kind of like less acceptable to talk about. Uh, yeah. and now it's like, yeah, not only do I agree with you, but like it, it's irresponsible to not talk about this. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's still uncomfortable. I think it should be uncomfortable, you know, especially for me looking the way I look. And again, you know, for those of you participating via radio, I'm white as fuck, you know, um, you know, it, it, it is hard, you know, and it is it is hard as, you know, somebody who's benefited from systemic racism to acknowledge as much and, you know, to try to be, um, you know, an, an effective ally and an effective listener um, at a moment like this in, you know, trying to, um, you know, work against those historical forces. 
Um, and, you know, it is, it is, you know, it is deeply uncomfortable, but I think it's, I think it's important, um, to, you know, um, to have those uncomfortable conversations and, and, you know, also, also, you know, um, not to, you know, there, there are no easy outs and, you know, everybody has, um, you know, I mean, there's just, there are no easy outs. And I, I think it's, you know, you shouldn't assume going into the conversation that there will be easy outs, you know, and you shouldn't assume that, you know, it's a failure of, um, the, the political moment or a failure of, you know, um, you know, the process of initiating dialogue that, you know, there aren't any obvious policy prescriptions. Um, I mean, there are a shit ton of, <laughs> you know, things that we could be doing on a national political and local level, um, to address things, things that were, were not, um, I, I don't want to, um, you know, gloss over that. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, it, the thorniness of it all, you know, um, you know, just, just because, um, you know, it is thorny doesn't mean you should take it on in the first place, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I agree completely. Um, so what was for you the impetus or the moment, uh, when you realized that your time spent, uh, in, in the restaurant industry, which you sort of backed into, uh, was going to become sort of like your life's, uh, calling and something that you were going, you were set to, to open the, you know, to, to find partners, uh, and, and open tail go. Tell us a little bit about that process for you. Yeah, so I, I worked for the city for a summer, um, uh, the much maligned, uh, DC, um, summer jobs program. Um, the, late um mayor barry um once upon a time guaranteed all youth in the city which is defined very liberally as anyone under 21 a job during the summer and um you know uh, it has been variously administered by the city itself um uh, but there are a lot of kids who have like really fond memories of being paid to work at a pool but then there are a lot of kids who have fond memories of being paid to do nothing um and uh i, I administered a, a summer green jobs program um through the dc department of environment um, and it was really illuminating, um, you know, uh, and, and that's a place where working for the city, you know, I was definitely, you know, um, in the context of that program, definitely a minority, you know, as you know, the, the city, um, administratively, you know, uh, is, I don't know what the figures are now, but, you know, um, working with more, you know, um, people of color than I'd ever worked before. And, you know, um, you know, the bulk of, uh, the youth working for us were, were people of color and, you know, it is, you know, really important to, to be in a position like that. And to, you know, um, I think, you know, get a sense of, of, you know, what it's like to be, um, you know, the minority, um, racially in, in a place at a time. And, and, you know, that experience was, you know, eye opening to me and really valuable for me. Um, and, you know, I, I think back to a lot, um, at, at this, this current moment, but, um, it was also really disillusioning, <laughs> um, just because, you know, I was working for the city, um, and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, entrenched interests and I was coming off the campaign and on the campaign, like there's this level of urgency in terms of, you know, getting things done and like a level of autonomy and stuff like that. And that's not how city government works. City government, you know, proceeds, you know, glacially um, compared to that. And um, so it was this like kind of illuminating experience and like disillusioning experience that I learned a lot from in a really important way. And um, went back to Comey and was like, you know, I think I found a home here. Um, you know, I want to really kind of like, you know, put my cards in, in the, push my cards in and, and, and make the most of this. And, um, and that was when I started managing a Comey and, 
And that's kind of ultimately how I backed into wine. I was, I was managing the dining room at Comey and then um, uh, like as part of that, um, started pouring wine there and then just, you know, kind of fell into the wine thing. Cool. Um, so, so at, at what point did you realize that one day you would like to start or, or, or own your own business? I don't know. I think in the back of, you know, everyone's mind, if, if you're, um, you know, ambitious enough in, in the restaurant, uh, game, you know, there's always a, you know, a kernel, a seed of, you know, I want to make my own sandbox and, and play in it. Um, you know, I know just in terms of my own personal skill set that, you know, it was never going to be something I'd do alone. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a decent cook, but you know, I'm not a chef. Um, and operationally, you know, I can, you know, handle invoices and stuff like that, but you know, it's, it's not, you know, a gift I have and, you know, in terms of the administration of, of a business. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, be approached by two people that, that had those strengths and, and, um, you know, complimented my skill sets, um, uh, well, and, um, you know, that opportunity became available and just kind of ran with it. Cool. What year was that? Um, like 2015 or so. Um, uh, and then it took a while to get the, the restaurant itself, um, up, up off the ground. Um, you know, it always, it's a truism, but it always, um, takes longer and costs more uh, than you, than you think it will. And that definitely like has been our experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, so up until, uh, up until 2020, what was, you know, if somebody's listening to this and perhaps they've taken interest in their life, uh, in food, uh, food and wine, uh, and perhaps have dreamed of one day uh, having their own sandbox. And I know that this is just like, you know, what that looks like and where it's going to be is so radically different. And, and I guess in a sense, um, you know, without pontificating too much about what the future will bring and, and, uh, what, what, what sort of changes are coming. Um, t- tell us a little bit about the process uh, of, uh, you know, those first couple of years in terms of getting, getting tail up goat off, off the ground. What um, was the process like? I was intense. I mean, you're, um, you know, shamelessly pandering for the sake of raising funds. If you don't have money yourself um, and navigating a relationship with investors, we were fortunate enough to bring on a, a single investor, but you know, that, you know, brings with it complications of its own. Um, you know, in my case, navigating, you know, a, a business relationship with two people um, and, you know, concurrently navigating personal relationships. And, you know, I love my wife to death, but, you know, I don't know that um, owning a restaurant would have been like her ideal career for her partner. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, you know, just maintaining, you know, your sanity and health and all that, it's really important to, um, you know, have a real passion for what you do and, you know, to be able to call upon that and to be able to return to that, um, you know, because, you know, the danger is that, you know, if, if it's not something that really feeds you, then you're going to burn out on it. Um, and, and then the other thing is just, to, um, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I didn't do a good job of, um, you know, setting boundaries for myself and in, in it all, um, you know, but I, I think to the extent that you can do that um, and find ways to structure a business so that, you know, you're able to, you know, take some time, you know, celebrate that and, and really make a priority of it. Um, you know, I think I've been grateful um, that, you know, this, you know, kind of rare public health emergency has, 
you know, forced us to reevaluate some things that we didn't have um, uh, a chance to just because we were, you know, kind of constantly, um, you know, pushing a rock up a hill. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important to take time to, to reflect on a, a thing, even when you're in the midst of it. And, you know, it's desperately hard to do that, um, you know, in life and in, and in business. Um, and, and I wish, you know, that I had done more of that up until, uh, this point. And, you know, I'll say too, like, I think the struggle of running a critically lauded restaurant is one challenge. And then the struggle of running a, you know, financially viable restaurant is another challenge. And, you know, those things, there's often a disconnection between those two. Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes, sometimes they, yeah, the one helps the other, but you know, it's not the same challenge. And I think sometimes people assume it's the same challenge, but it's, you know, they're very different. There are a lot of really shitty restaurants that make money and vice versa. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, equally important to, you know, remember that regardless of, of what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, also just take, take time to celebrate it all. Um, you know, uh, it is, you know, certainly not the easiest way, um, to make a living in the world. And, um, you know, um, to the extent that, you know, you are, you know, um, you know, creating a, a community for your, your staff and, and the guests that come, come through the doors, you know, on a nightly basis, that's certainly worth celebrating. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I wrote that down when you, so, so you really, uh, in a sense, a- answered the next question I was going to ask you, which was, um, you know, if you could go back in time, what are some things that you would tell yourself or what was some advice uh, that you'd wish to give yourself at the beginning of the process? But I, I think two of the things that you said, which, you know, are to set boundaries and then to celebrate victories are just so important. And I think, um, you know, for me personally, the second is something that uh, I am all too often uh, guilty of, which is uh, being so preoccupied with pushing the rock that you fail to ever step back and see all the progress that you've made. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, life is the journey. Uh, and so it is just so important, I think, to, to stop and to celebrate, if not, uh, you know, for your own sanity, um, you know, for the morale of the team around you, because, you know, if you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. Um, but if you want it to be a sustainable journey, you need a team, uh, and that team can be, you know, a good, um, you know, relationships at home, but also, you know, in the office or in the kitchen. And I think that, um, you know, perhaps you and I have a similarity, which is to get preoccupied with busyness and progress that you, that you fail to kind of step back and, and just kind of be thankful for, uh, you know, for the good things that, that you and your team, uh, have, have achieved together. And I think that in those celebrations, it's just so important for long-term stability, uh, sustainability, uh, organizationally, because if you don't take those moments, it just becomes so exhausting, uh, for everyone else that's, that, that's on that journey with you. So, um, you know, it's, it's almost as much for, for, for you as it is for the team to kind of be not necessarily, you know, the initiator even of those celebrations, but sort of, um, you know, uh, a a warm participant in, because I think so often for me, you know, if a celebration were to uh, break out while I'm busy pushing that rock, I'm almost unwilling to stop pushing to, to, to even participate, uh, you know, in, in a, in a warm way with, with those that, uh, you know, that are on the team and are just like, Hey, this just happened and it was good. Can you stop for a minute, please? And be happy yeah. with us. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I struggle with it too, because I get superstitious. I get kind of superstitious about it. Like, you know, you don't, you don't want to stop and, um, 
you know, rest. Otherwise, you know, things will unravel. But, you know, also like as the, you know, the wine guy, you know, sometimes I get, you know, cast into this role of, you know, um, major D life of the party. Um, and you know, th- there's a performative aspect to that. That's important to, you know, kind of play out for people. Do, do you enjoy that aspect of what you do? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I think sometimes I naturally take it on, but you know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, always does it. So, you know, I think I find it draining, uh, you know, in a weird way concurrently. Um, you know, so, um, you know, I, and, and th- this is, this is, you know, true about the restaurant industry too, that like, it's not unlike organizing, you know, there's some people that, you know, can never turn it off, but, you know, I, I will say, um, you know, increasingly in, you know, my professional life, I, I was looking for, you know, ways to do my job off the floor, uh, more, more and more. Um, and, you know, part of that too, is just about like, you know, being able to, um, you know, spend more time with, um, you know, my, my wife at home in a way that isn't possible when, um, you know, you're running service at a, at a restaurant. Um, you know, so, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to, you know, be a restaurant owner or be a wine guy or whatever. And, and, you know, I think it's important to, you know, find ways to make it work for you. You know, don't assume that, you know, because you have a particular skill set or, you know, um, you know, a, a particular, um, you know, predilection or, you know, um, sensibility or whatever that, you know, it, it's closed, it's closed off to you, you know, like a conventional SOM role, you know, might be closed off to you, but, you know, ask yourself, do you want that anyway? Do you want to be, you know, some guy in a suit, you know, catering to whales or, you know, do you want to be the nerdy guy at a record store, you know, selling like a 12 inch jazz record, you know, and, and, you know, there, that's, that's a wine guy too. It's just kind of like, you know, there are different, different ways to do that. And, you know, you know, just like, you know, there's no one winery, you know, there's old Westminster, there's Cheval Blanc, there's, you know, whatever Yellowtail is. Or, gap between them. Yeah. And then there's like Mayomi, that's not even a winery. It's a brand detached from any physical entity or thing, you know, so like we're in this like post, you know, tie to anything wine world. That's just like crazy. Um, uh, and so, you know, there are a million different ways to approach it and do it. And, you know, I think, you know, in terms of making something lasting and soulful, the most important thing is that, you know, you do something that speaks to, um, you know, your your personal passion and, and you know, what you can bring to the world that is, you know, distinct and, and heartfelt. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so something that, that I want to, um, uh, that I'm working hard to make a, a part of this podcast um, is uh, to, to, to tell stories or to hear stories uh, of, of sort of moments uh, along the way. Uh, and I'm wondering if you have one, which was, uh, which was brutal for you. So like brutal is this term, as you know, as, as the wine guy, that is kind of taking on a life of its own as it refers to uh, uh, wine made, uh, you know, from, from only grapes, uh, wines that are, that are uh, you know, raw and rustic and farmhouse in style. Um, but, but for myself and uh, for my sisters, particularly growing up in our relationship, uh, really close. Brutal was a term, a word that we always used to describe those moments that were like um, so awkward or so bad in the moment. But when 
retelling them, you just couldn't help but realize that it was that it was actually hilarious, and you were just blinded in the moment. And I'm wondering uh, if, in your uh, you know experience uh, in the restaurant industry, um, if you have any any stories or moments that you'd like to share that that uh, you know in the moment were brutal, and looking back are are pretty funny. Oh, sure. I mean, I have a lot of those. And I'm sure if, <laughs> um, you know, there were a bunch of former colleagues in the mix um, uh, on this podcast, they could and, and a you with glasses more. of wine. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and one, see, one that comes to mind is I was uh, um, expoing. So, um, you know, for those aren't, you aren't in the, in the restaurant game, expoing is the person who kind of stands at the pass and, um, you know, uh, hands you know, the individual plates out to servers as they come. Um, uh, so as the food is coming out of the kitchen, you're yeah, exactly. essentially looking over the food, making sure that it's right before it goes to the table. Yeah. And I was under quality. I was like, you know, I've never really worked in a restaurant kitchen and I was, I was filling in at Comey at the time um, and uh, wearing someone else's chef, like borrowed chef's jacket. Um, uh, and uh, I was working for the sea at the time and they called me in cause they needed help. And, you know, I was feeling, you know, pretty cool. Cause you know, I was at this like, you know, DC, like fine dining bastion, you know, um, you know, in this like tightly tailored chef jacket, um, and, you know, you know, marking off tickets and stuff. And I had this like uh, black Sharpie, um, that's like clickable, you know, because you want to like click it. And then, and what the chefs usually do, a lot of the chef's jackets, they'll have like a pocket on the sleeve or a pocket, um, you know, on the front. Um, and mind you, I'm, I'm wearing a, uh, a, a jacket that I borrowed from the chef and, um, you know, I'm crossing off these tickets and, um, putting the, trying to put the pen back, not realizing in my front pocket, not realizing, um, that the, the jacket doesn't have a front pocket and all of the, uh, line cooks are staring at me and, uh, starting to bust the gut and I couldn't figure out why and finally realized that. Not only did the jacket not have a pocket, but um, uh, it uh, uh, didn't have a pocket, and the pen was uh, was clicked. So I was writing all over the front of the chef's jacket um, while while facing them, and and I had never been able to to live that down. Um, and you know that was really like the uh, beginning and the end of my restaurant cooking. Yeah, uh, wearing stuff. a chef's jacket, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. I would love to have seen a picture of that night. Did, yeah. did anyone get a picture of that? I think they. I think they exist. Um, yeah. You know, I think I. I the chef would just like keep the jacket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I. I think I tossed it. It was beyond yeah, you, you. You earned that one. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, amazing. Um, so what? Uh, what do you do for fun? Do you have any hobbies outside of uh, food and wine that you've had the opportunity uh, to explore um, with? Yeah, I mean, like I, in a, in a pre-COVID world, um, in a pre-restaurant opening world, um, I played soccer every Saturday morning, just pick up. Um, and that was always a highlight of my day. Um, I have a couple of nephews who I haven't, you know, seen in person in a while that, you know, uh, I love visiting uh, in, in normal, um, you know, under normal circumstances. Um, honestly, my life is pretty boring aside from that, you know, um, I lavish too much attention on my dog and, um, you know, I, I read a lot. Um, you know, occasionally, uh, I cook, although, um, lately I've been kind of worthless. Uh, I, I was really great. You know, when the restaurant was closed, I was cooking up a storm, but since we've reopened, my wife has, has taken, taken that on. 
um, uh, which makes me sound, you know, like my grandfather, but, um, you know, uh, at any rate, it's okay um, to be an old soul. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, uh, but, uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I love, I love traveling. Um, you know, I think, you know, that is a really important part of, uh, the wine trade that I adore. Um, and it's taken me some really amazing places and, you know, I have, you know, uh, you know, friends in Mount Airy or, or whatever, I guess you, you guys aren't Mount Airy. You're, I mean, you're, you are Westminster, Maryland, but I, yeah, uh, I drive through Mount Airy though, yeah, almost yeah. every single day. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have this whole community of people in the Finger Lakes that I can call upon and, you know, I've been to Georgia and, you know, Sicily and Peloponnese and all these like, you know, crazy corners of the world. And, and there is this like wonderful, you know, kind of like shared language and shared sensibility. Um, especially now in the, in the in the wine world, it's like way more global than it ever has been. And like growing and it makes up, it smaller. Yeah, 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 and, and yeah, and and it's and it's super cool. And I think like you know you can connect with people really easily around it. Um, and and it erodes you know um, other differences in this really amazing way. And and you know, in as much as you know, historically there have been all sorts of forces, you know, racial, cultural, you know, gendered, you name it. Um, that, you know, have been barriers to entry in the wine world, you know, by the same token, there is this like wonderful universality to taste. Um, and, you know, I think that like, in as much as wine is a very like historically Eurocentric thing, it's something that like, you can come to and just like appreciate at a very human level. Um, and so, you know, I, I like that about it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so I, I, I really uh, enjoy listening to you talk. I think you're uh, articulate, obviously well-traveled and read. I'm, I, it makes me wonder, how do you, uh, how, how do you formulate your thoughts? Um, you mentioned reading. Uh, do you write much? Um, I write a lot for, uh, um, for the website and stuff like that. Um, you know, some people, like, when they write, it's very natural. Um, other writers, you know, it's like bleeding a rock. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's like fits and starts, um, you know, and, and I have to be in the right headspace for it. And usually I have to be under a deadline. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, it's one of those things I can't turn off though. I've just never thought about it. You know, I've always, you know, always read, you know, and, and, you know, always, you know, I've never thought about, you know, a real, um, you know, this is where one sphere ends and, and, and another begins. And, you know, I think even if I wasn't in the wine trade, I'd be reading about it, you know, in as much as, you know, I'm out of politics now, but I read a lot about it. So, you know, I've never, you know, felt like, you know, there is a universe of things that is like, you know, professional. And then there's a universe of things that's personal. Like I've always liked when those things are, are kind of mashed up. Um, and, you know, I think historically too, the, the careers that I've gravitated to and the ones that I've loved for the sake of organizing and, and restauranting the, and, you know, winemaking is the same way. Like those are workplaces where the divisions like erode, um, and you get into this like familial, like dysfunctional family, like any family, but like, it's a very familial, um, environment. Um, and, you know, I've never liked um, you know, places where I felt like I was clocking in and clocking out, you know, it's just not, um, I know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I totally get that, you know, there are people like my wife, like loves that, like she loves that, you know, at the end of the day, she leaves, you know, she signs off and, you know, she's out, you know, um, and she's not signing back on, but like, um, I, I just, I just wasn't wired that way. 
Yeah, uh, like you, I'm not wired that way, though my wife is also. And <laughs> there is, uh, from time to time, uh, a, an appeal to it, for sure. Oh, but, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, important to acknowledge, you know, the other perspective. And, you know, especially in, you know, a marriage, important to, you know, acknowledge those moments where you need to tune the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, 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 and I think in balancing that, um, you know, with a partner, um, you know, wow, that is that a delicate dance? Um, but it, it, it's, it's one where I think with good communication and, and sort of a healthy respect for, you know, the other's personality and how they do that, uh, you know, how they enjoy, you know, sort of spending their life that there can be some symbiosis uh, that can be found between two people that have sort of uh, opposite aspirations. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, it's, it's a, you know, not to get too hokey, but I think it just like in any relationship that is that intimate, whether it's a, you know, a, a marriage or a business partnership or anything like that, you know, I think just being open and honest with one another and, and you know, kind of constantly communicating through the good times and, and the ill, you know, is the is the only saving grace, you know. You might not always save, you know, the business relationship or the marriage, but at the very least, you know, you'll come out of it on good terms with one another. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Bill, I know that, um, you know, it, it, this is your your answer for this next question uh, will be will be different now than it was even just six months ago. But um, for those who have listened and enjoyed uh, this conversation in some way, how can they? Uh, how could someone connect with you? How could someone enjoy? Um, uh, your wine classes, um, uh, or even some of, uh, you know, the amazing food and beverage that comes from your establishments. Uh, yeah, so this is the time for shameless self-promotion. Thank you, Drew. Uh, so, um, for the sake of the wine classes, uh, you can shoot us an email. It's wine school at tail up goat, um, or just visit the wine school page, um, on the tail up goat website. Um, uh, the restaurants are, uh, as you mentioned in the Adams Morgan enclave of Washington, DC. Um, uh, they are, um, currently open for business, uh, and um, they are uh, appropriately socially distanced. Um, uh, Tail Up Goat is a set menu um, at the moment um, at $75 with an optional $50 wine pairing. Um, uh, Revelers Hour, um, there's an optional three-course menu at $45, but uh, we're going to be offering a la carte as well there and doing delivery at both places. Uh, we have a retail wine store during the day at Revelers Hour. So um, we are, you know, shamelessly, you know, offering ourselves up however you want to access us. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, so uh, whether you are comfortable, you know, dining in or not, um, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, if you're curious about us and, um, you know, want, want to access our work, support our work, um, that there's a way to do it. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, any any of those uh, outlets are are available to you and and you know thank you so much for for listening um, here today and, and thank you Drew for having me on. Yeah, thanks Bill. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate you and uh, thanks for hopping on the show. Everyone who uh, listened to this podcast, thank you so much. Uh, if you did uh, enjoy the conversation, please consider uh, subscribing uh, via iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. And uh, we will be releasing conversations like this uh, weekly. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Bill. Appreciate you. Give my love to the ever-growing Baker clan, buddy. <laughs> All right. Take care. Good to take see care. you.